Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home, too? The place to do it is Errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love, online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at Errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details. Hey, everybody. I'm Logan Camden. I'm Carson Brabber. And this is Nerd Sesh. No! Oh my God! How could he do that? Are you on? Don't What? Charles Darwin. All right, Logan. You, I, and hundreds of millions of other Americans celebrated National Tight Ends Day yesterday. It was a glorious holiday spent with family and large mobile men who can also block. And today, in honor of that holy holiday, we are going to be ranking our top 10 tight ends of all time. We haven't knocked this one out yet. We've done some other position groups. This one is a really interesting one. I agonized over it, as I seem to always do with these top 10 lists. I left one guy off that I don't feel great about, but you got to make those tough decisions. And it was really interesting because... It's almost like you're evaluating different positions between eras here because a tight end's role has changed so dramatically. So let's start at number 10. Who do you have? So I'm going to start with a, I want to get into some disclaimers with my number 10. I've got Jimmy Graham and that may seem crazy to have him on my list. And I I did have some pretty heavy omissions. Uh, My biggest one, the first guy off my list was John Mackey. Um, A lot of old guys will tell you that Mackey is a necessity to be here, and he even has the playoff resume as well, a 75-yard touchdown in Super Bowl five. I mean, that's just a moment that a lot of the guys on this list don't have, but Mackey never led the league in receiving yards at the tight end position. He only led once in receiving touchdowns, and while his resume stacks up with the guys of his era, I watched Jimmy Graham play. I watched he's just a different athlete, a different kind of beast. And Carson, call me crazy on this one. I want to see if you've got him on your list. I left Jason Witten off of my list. Uh, I felt that Witten, while he has the longevity, I feel like the people who think that Witten is top five need to be thrown in with the same Neanderthals who think Larry Fitzgerald is a top five wide receiver of all time. So getting into my list, I've got Jimmy Graham here at 10 and His resume already is outstanding among career ranks of tight ends. Already number seven in career receiving yards, fourth in career receiving touchdowns at the tight end position. Only a one-time All-Pro selection, but he's got five top finishes in tight end receiving yards and five top five finishes in receiving touchdowns. A two-time league leader at the position and a two-time runner-up in touchdowns for the tight end position. Um, 
it really just determines now for me, Jim, having Jimmy on my list is that I saw him play. I saw him dominate the position alongside the most dominant tight end ever, Rob Gronkowski, in his time in New Orleans. And I've never seen a guy like Jimmy Graham, that kind of athlete that can just go up and get any ball thrown in the red zone, in the end zone. So, yeah, leaving guys like Mackey and Witten were tough, but I feel like it's justified because the position is growing. The position is getting better, in my opinion, as we continue to go through the through football. So uh, I think Graham is a I think you could leave Graham off in favor of Mackey or Witten. I wouldn't hold it against you, but he was his peak was higher than a lot of other guys at this position. This is interesting because that is almost the exact same logic that I am using to include another current guy who I think very few people will have on their list. And I will add to that point that you just made. The tight end position is getting better. And obviously, as the passing game grows, receiving numbers are going to continue to grow. But particularly at the tight end position, guys are doing more than ever before. And we have some real dynamic receiving weapons at the position like we haven't throughout most of history. And to me, my number 10 is a guy who very well may end up as the best receiving tight end of all time, and that is Travis Kelsey, who is a five-time Pro Bowler, a two-time All-Pro, 6,935 career yards, 42 touchdowns, about to have his fifth straight 1,000-yard season. He's 6'5", 260 with 4'6 speed, and is just completely unguardable. You can't put a DB on him, obviously not big enough. You can't put a linebacker on him, he's going to be too quick for them. Really, the only option you have is a truly elite mobile coverage linebacker, and there are very few of those in football. I think he's maybe the best route runner we've ever seen at the position. And if you look at his first six years of real football, that so that's through last season, because his rookie year he only played one game, I'm not going to count that. His averages are 1,078 yards and 6.2 touchdowns per game. He is the most yards per game of anyone on my list, more than Gronk, more than Tony Gonzalez, more than whoever else you want to throw into that group. And as a blocker, he's still pretty good. He was top 10 in Pro Football Focus's grades as a run blocker last year, fourth as a pass blocker, which is obviously less important, but still notable. And in the playoffs, he's been outstanding. We have nine career playoff games from him, 632 yards and six touchdowns, on pace for basically a little over 1,100 yards and 11 touchdowns if that were a full 16-game sample. The guy's peak is unbelievably high, and I do want to give props to Jimmy Graham because if you go back to... 2013, he was an unbelievable force like outside of Gronk we maybe have never seen in the sport. Over 1,200 yards and 16 touchdowns. He was that kind of guy at 6'7", 265 as a former basketball player who you literally just threw the ball up to and he caught it every single time. That is undeniable. However, I think Kelsey's peak is even higher. I think he's more mobile. I think he is more embedded in the Chiefs down-to-down passing game. And... I had to leave off some tough guys. I have both Witten and Mackey on my list. The toughest one for me who I left off was Ozzie Newsome, who I will get into. But I think that we have a couple current guys here who maybe don't have the full career resume. Although Jimmy Graham is 34 years old. He's basically played a full career. Kelsey isn't quite there, but I think that his peak is high enough. And the way I had to look at this, because normally I do not put guys who are not at least in the twilight of their careers on a top 10 list. But when it comes to this position, I looked at myself and thought, if, God forbid, Travis Kelsey had a, a career-ending injury today, would he be on my top 10 tight ends list? And I think he would because I value peak, and his peak is probably going to be top four all-time, in my opinion. And I assume that it will continue at this rate. I can't project that because you cannot put someone in your top 10, and then if that were to happen, later say he's not top 10 because you assumed something. 
and I take this list making very seriously, and I will not allow myself to do that. But I really do think right now he's a top 10 guy. I think you said it best, Carson, is that he's the best receiving tight end ever. I've never seen anyone better at the position than Travis Kelsey. And yeah, he doesn't have the full longevity of other guys at this list because he's in the prime of his career, but his resume already stacks up with the rest of them. A two-time All-Pro selection and a Super Bowl where he contributed under his belt. I've got Kelsey even higher on my list. Um, I'm going to be excited to get into that, but uh, do you want to get into your Newsome case now or do you want to save that? I'll save that. Who do you have at nine first? Um, at nine is a guy I didn't even expect to have on my list whatsoever. I have Todd Christensen here at nine. Um, only 10 career seasons. He's a five-time Pro Bowler. He has two first-team All-Pro selections. Uh, the really swinging factor for me in having Christensen on this list is he had three 1,000-yard seasons in the 80s at the tight end position. That just doesn't happen. He led the league at the tight end position four times in yards. He was a runner-up once and then uh, top five another two times and he was top five in receiving touchdowns five times. He led the league twice at the position and was a runner-up once as well. Um, I think Christensen, also as well, not even at the tight end position, I want to mention, twice he finished in top 10 in receiving yards along with wideouts, and three times he finished in top 10 alongside with receiving touchdowns. Christensen is unique in the fact that he has got two Super Bowl rings to his resume as well. Um, so... The fact that he was on a contributing team, I don't want to get too far into team value over what he did individually for the offenses, but the rings along with the longevity and his peak, I think Christensen is probably a criminally underrated tight end. I had never even looked into his resume before doing this list, but to me, his peak is higher than a guy like Jason Witten. Yes, Witten had 4,000-yard seasons, but it was in the modern era, and he never dominated on the touchdown end, and... He, uh, he had a little bit longer peak than Jimmy Graham, which is why I slotted him over Graham at the nine spot. And again, like I said, he's a two-time Super Bowl champ, which a lot of tight ends in history cannot say. It's an interesting selection. I did not have him on my list. He was not one of my first couple guys off. What's complicated as a weighing factor in these decisions is how do you weight peak versus longevity? Because if you talk about a guy like Jason Witten, he was a good tight end for literally three times as long as Todd Christensen was. For 15-plus years, Jason Witten was a good NFL tight end. Todd Christensen, you look, was basically good for five, maybe six years. Outside of that, doesn't have a 200-yard receiving season. So, his peak is definitely there, and I did value peak, so I don't want to contradict myself in how I evaluate this list. My number nine, though, is the Raiders tight end who preceded Christensen, and that is Dave Casper, who had a really impressive resume, and I sort of decided that I was going to put Kelsey at 10 no matter what, and I was going to put either Casper or Newsom at 9. And maybe that's foolish, but I just didn't feel great about putting a guy who's only played six seasons of football, six real seasons of football, higher than my 10 spot. I wanted to put it there to make a statement about how great Kelsey is. And by the way, there are other current tight ends who will end up on this list. If George Kittle doesn't, I will be astounded because he could very easily have a better career than Kelsey. When it comes to Casper... Over 5,200 yards in his career, 52 touchdowns, a four-time, pro, a five-time Pro Bowler, four-time first-team All-Pro, two-time Super Bowl champ, had some really impressive receiving seasons in the 77 playoffs, had five touchdowns in two games. What it came down to, for me between Casper and Newsom, was Casper undoubtedly has the advantage as a blocker, had a couple inches on Newsom, had a little bit of weight on him, and just had a sort of wild man mentality that you associate with the Raiders of that era where 
Blocking was his primary objective, receiving was sort of secondary, which is how the position was played primarily at that time. Newsom is the much more impressive tight end to watch, in my opinion, because he's a receiver converted to a tight end. So if you look at him, he's so incredibly athletic and nimble and has a couple thousand plus receiving yards seasons. But what I did was I compared Casper's eight seasons as a starter to Newsom's eight best seasons as a receiver. And Casper averaged 727 yards and basically six touchdowns over those seasons, whereas Newsom averaged 830 yards and basically five touchdowns. So Newsom still has the slight advantage as a receiving weapon there, but not significantly enough to give him the edge over Casper, in my opinion, who was so tremendous as a blocker. And I think that's why we see Casper with the less flashy career numbers has the more Pro Bowls, the four All-Pros to Newsom's one. Newsom also just a three-time Pro Bowler, and he has the 7,980 yards and 47 touchdowns, but we have to sort of evaluate these guys within the scopes of their era, which is why, for me, a guy like John Mackey had to be here because of how spectacular he was within his era, and it's interesting to consider how much do we favor current tight ends because they are just more valuable, but Casper and Newsom played in overlapping eras, eras, and I just think that Casper was the better player of the two. So that was my decision-making there. Who do you have at number eight? Uh, I've got Dave Casper as well here at number eight, and you talk about the scope of their careers. I would also look at Dave Casper in the scope of his own offense. Uh, playing alongside Fred Belitnikoff and Cliff Branch certainly ate into his touches in that offense, but he still produced at a really high level in the red zone, a two-time league leader in tight end receiving touchdowns and a two-time runner-up in his 11-year career. Casper, uh, for me, is a mandatory to have on the list, obviously without a 1,000-yard season when a guy like Mike Ditka did it in the 60s. It's a little underwhelming and is why I really don't have Casper up any higher, but I personally think Casper is a mandatory on any tight end list because of the iconic NFL moments he's been involved in, even if it is just goes to the post, his 42-yard touchdown uh, on the final drive, or the holy roller where you know Kenny Stabler kicks a football 20 yards and they end up scoring a touchdown. So uh, Casper, I think, especially to not only the iconic moments, the touchdown scoring, four-time first-team All-Pro, that's impressive in and of itself, whatever era you're in at any NFL position. So, yeah, Casper uh, just doesn't have the resume of the modern guys and is why he isn't any higher. But when I talk to old guys like my dad and he talks about Casper's ability, he puts a guy like Dave Casper right up there with Rob Gronkowski and Tony Gonzalez. Yeah. I like you referring to the Honorable James Jimmy Camden as an old guy. <laughs> <laughs> Glad he has that resource for you. My number eight is a guy you just mentioned, and I'll be interested in seeing how you respond to this. I have Mike Ditka there, and the resume is obviously incredible. 5,812 yards, 43 touchdowns, a five-time Pro Bowler, a two-time All-Pro, and he and John Mackey are really the first tight ends who were weaponized as receivers, period. Because before that, it was just a blocking position. And those guys were still, in many ways, defined by their blocking. But they were weapons in the receiving game. And when you look at Ditka's first four years as a receiving tight end, it is unreal. As a rookie, in 1961, 1,276 yards and 12 touchdowns, practically doubled the second leading receiver on the team in yards, was fourth league-wide in yards, and second league-wide in touchdowns. And over his first four years, averaged per season... 918 yards and seven and a half touchdowns led his team in receiving three times. The reason I don't have Ditka higher is because not due to injuries, he really just had a precipitous decline as far as his production in the receiving game. After those first four incredible years, 
never caught over three touchdowns again, never had over 454 receiving yards again. He was always a great blocker. He was always really tough. He was always a great leader, and that made him really valuable for his whole career. I saw an interesting short from NFL Films where they talked with Roger Staubach, and he talked about the importance of Ditka to the 1971 Cowboys Super Bowl team as a leader and as a presence in that locker room, who also made a couple big catches for them. But his prime was just so brief, and I don't want to be contradictory because there are some guys who I say their prime is so brilliant that I have to have them up higher than this. The thing for me is, if your prime is cut short due to injuries, that's one thing. I think that we just saw from Ditka a real decline in his production there that you can't blame on anything else. I do want to acknowledge his peak. I want to acknowledge everything that he did and the intangible factor that doesn't show up on the stat sheet, which is part of what made him so special. But I tried to put him a little higher just because I know that people have that reverence for him, and I couldn't really do it in a way that I felt good about. This was where I felt comfortable with him. I didn't consider him putting him lower but I didn't really want to put him any higher. So let's move on. Who do you have at number seven? Man, surprisingly, uh, <laughs> we're matching up pretty well here, Carson. I've got Ditka at seven. So uh, you ran on the case pretty well. Ditka, I, I almost, I'm not even going to lie. I thought about leaving him off my list just because the numbers for his career weren't astounding, but in a thousand yard season in 1961 as a tight end, when you play 14 game seasons, I've got to put that on there regardless. Almost a 1,300-yard season as a rookie. The first guy to ever do anything like that. And you mentioned while his peak was brief, I I think Didka really should be measured on his six career seasons in Chicago because that's when he was most dominant as a receiver. He was more of a blocker in Dallas and how they used him. But while his peak was brief and he had that 1,000-yard season, he was also consistent at those years among the position. Three times he led the league uh, at in receiving yards for a tight end, and twice he led the league in receiving touchdowns for a tight end. He was a runner-up another uh, time as well. And even so, even after all these years have passed, we've had so many dominant years of talented tight ends coming in. He's 21st in career tight end receiving yards and 20th among tight ends and receiving touchdowns for a career. So his numbers, even though he played such a long time ago, still hold weight to this day. Um, Ditka, I think, gets a little overrated, in my opinion, just because uh, historically of how much guys from that era talk about him. But uh, what he did for his time period, uh, it's it's unattainable. And nobody else did it. So let me ask you this, because... The contemporaries, the first two great tight ends, in my opinion, anywhere you look, and basically just because of common sense, are Ditka and Mackey. You had Ditka on your list, you had Mackey off. I have Mackey higher than Ditka on my list. I'll get into my rationale for that when I talk about Mackey. Why was it that you chose Iron Mike as the better of the two? Um, Mackey's numbers for a career don't stand nearly as well. Um, he's not in the top 25 for tight end receiving yards. And I know we shouldn't really look at career totals, but when I compare Ditka and he's on those lists and a guy like Mackey isn't also Mackey lacking in a thousand yard season. Um, and he never led the league in receiving yards uh, for the position. He was only a one-time league leader in receiving touchdowns. So for me, I just thought that Ditka had a higher peak as a tight end, and they played in similar eras. I thought he was just a better tight end. But uh, like I said earlier when I was talking about Mackey, his playoff numbers are really astounding because Ditka's are horrible. He only has 11 catches, I think 107 yards, and a touchdown in 10 career playoff games. While Mackey, as I mentioned earlier, the touchdown in Super Bowl five for 75 yards. And in 1968, on their trip to Super Bowl three, 20.1 yards per catch and 53.7 yards per game. Those are good numbers even for today. Yeah. 
I'll get into my Mackie case later and why I believe he is the superior of the two from this era. But my number seven is another guy who you left off your list entirely, and that is Jason Witten, who is an interesting guy to evaluate because I agree with a lot of your criticisms. I think he is in many ways a Larry Fitzgerald, Frank Gore equivalent in that the guy just played for so long, but he's clearly the third best tight end of his era. If you include Rob Gronkowski, then he's the fourth best. So I do think that needs to be considered. He's an 11-time Pro Bowler, though, and a two-time All-Pro with 1,221 career catches with his fourth all-time, regardless of position, 13,006 yards, which is 19th all-time, second among tight ends, and 73 touchdowns, 15 straight years with 500-plus yards, 12 straight with 700-plus, and not a dynamic athlete, not a huge red zone threat comparatively, but his longevity is arguably unmatched, probably the greatest in the position's history, and for most of his career, he was also a fantastic blocker. Now, that started to fade a little bit as he got into his older years and became a little bit more stiff, but even then, the guy could still always get open, still getting open at 37 years old, putting up 500-plus yard seasons, and his peak isn't as high as the guys who I have above him for the most part, but still six straight years with 940-plus yards. That's really incredible. I compare him to the guy who I have one spot above him in Shannon Sharp, which I will just spoil right now, and... I think Witten's resume speaks for himself. Compared to Sharp, he has more catches, more yards, more yards per game, more touchdowns, a higher catch percentage, and was a significantly better blocker. Now, do I have him above Shannon Sharp? No, and I will get into why on that front, but even though Witten, by the eye test, isn't that kind of overwhelming talent, maybe doesn't have that one season that you look at and go, wow, he was a weapon at the tight end position like we've never seen, but being really good for a decade and a half is certainly worthy of recognition, in my opinion, on this list. Do you want to get into a little bit more at all why he's not in your top 10? I'd just like to give Witten some credit on a little bit. You mentioned that he played behind some really good tight ends. Witten was really underrated nearly every season of his career because he was behind Tony Gonzalez and Antonio Gates at the start. He was behind Jimmy Graham and Rob Gronkowski when they took over in the 2010s. And even when he was a relevant receiver these past few years, he's been outshined by Kelsey and Kittle. So, yeah, I think Witten is a really underrated guy for me. It's interesting that you put him in the same category as Sharp because I just think that Shannon Sharp is a supreme, a much more supremely talented tight end in all facets over a guy like Jason Witten. Well, all facets except blocking, I assume you mean. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. I still have Shannon Sharp above him, but need I recite the resume again? For Witten, it's more catches, more yards, more yards per game, which is showing you that's not just a longevity stat, although there is an error factor there because people throw the ball now more. More touchdowns, higher catch percentage, better blocker. But I still don't have him above him. I have Shannon Sharp at six. I can get into that in a second. Who do you have in the sixth spot? Uh, at number six, I've got Antonio Gates. Uh, he's a future Hall of Famer to be, obviously, with um, his number one career rank in receiving uh, tight end touchdowns. He's also a three-time first-team All-Pro selection. Uh, or Yeah, um, he's third in career tight end receiving yards. He's first in tight end receiving TDs, 116. He has 2,000-yard seasons, which, yeah, aren't as impressive as Witten's yardage stats, but Antonio Gates, I, I put right up there, like I said, with Tony G., with Rob Gronkowski, Antonio Gates was a weapon in the red zone. You just throw a jump ball up there, and Antonio Gates is going to get it. The reason that he's at number six is because 
Nobody was like that. He led the league six times in receiving touchdowns at the tight end position. He was a runner-up two other times, so that's 10 top five receiving touchdown uh, finishes for a tight end in his career. He's got another seven top five finishes uh, for receiving yards at tight end. He led the league twice. And uh, just to bag on him a little more, he made Phillip Rivers look like a good quarterback for a little bit. So uh, I got I got my shot in. Um, Gates does not have a Super Bowl to his name. He doesn't have an extremely long peak, eight-time Pro Bowler. You know, after 2013, 2014, it's really been kind of stagnated while we've seen him. But at his peak from 03 to 2011, there weren't any, there weren't many tight ends better than Antonio Gates. And my distinction between a guy like Gates and a guy like Witten would be Gates has almost that same longevity. He was at least good for a really long time, and his peak is a decent amount higher. I have him a couple spots higher still. My number six, though, is Shannon Sharp, who I think is a fascinating guy to discuss in this conversation because he's 6'2", 228, with 4'6'7 speed. So it's not like he's some insane quick athlete at the position that we've never seen before. He's not as fast 40-wise as Travis Kelsey, and he's three inches short and 30 pounds lighter. But here he is, an eight-time Pro Bowler, a four-time All-Pro, a three-time Super Bowl champ with 10,060 yards, 62 touchdowns. When he retired, was the all-time tight end leader in receptions and yards. What's interesting to me is so much of the fame that we associate with Shannon Sharp beyond his extension of his career as a huge media personality is that he was on these winning teams. And I watched a pretty funny clip from Undisputed where he was talking with Tony Gonzalez and they were making the case for which one of them was the better tight end. It wasn't what the segment was supposed to be about, but it was what it devolved into. And he was talking about how Tony had such little playoff success and he referred to himself as the common factor between the Elway-led Broncos teams and then obviously the incredible defenses of the early 2000s Ravens, which is hilarious. He was insisting that he was the common denominator. He apparently made Ray Lewis and the gang great, but his playoff stats are actually worse than his regular season stats. 45 yards per game over 18 playoff appearances, four touchdowns in 18 playoff games, not the same kind of insane red zone threat that a guy like Gates or Tony Gonzalez or Rob Gronkowski would have been at their peak. But the reason I have him above Witten, even though I gave so many stats earlier that would say I should favor Witten, is that to me, Sharp's dynamism as a weapon and his contribution to championship teams do warrant him being here because Witten's numbers are impressive and you can't hold a tight end situation against them, obviously. But Sharp was, if not the number one target, a top two target on some really great teams and he was still great when he retired at 35 years old. 770 yards and eight touchdowns. And when he stopped, he was maybe the best receiving tight end of all time, whereas Witten was the third best of his own era. That matters to me. Obviously, receiving numbers are going to continue to get more and more impressive because people are throwing the ball more and they're throwing the ball more to tight ends. But you have to evaluate how someone compared to their peers. And even though this is a better tight end generation to begin with, and I have two guys above Shannon from Jason Witten's era, Sharp was unmatched compared to the competition, whereas Witten was consistently bested as far as dynamism, as far as who was the nightmare to cover. It was Tony G, then it was Gates, and then he could throw Witten down there a little bit lower. Sharp had that same factor. You had to double him. He could break a big play at any time. He was always open. And even though he neglected blocking and has talked about how 
Someone told him early in his career that if he wants to make the money, if, if he wants to be famous, he needs to forget about blocking. The dude is basically a receiver who played tight end, but he was really, really good at it. And so I do have him at number six. Let's get into the top five. Who do you have in the fifth spot? All right. I don't want a whole lot of backlash for this. Maybe I'm an insane person. I've got Travis Kelsey already at five. Um, five-time Pro Bowler, already two-time first-team All-Pro. You said it earlier. I think he's the greatest receiving tight end we've ever seen. He's already got four 1,000-yard seasons. And on top of that, in six full seasons, he's played seven. He only appeared in one game his rookie year. He's currently playing his eighth season. Two top 10 finishes in receiving yards for the entire NFL. Three top 10 finishes for receiving touchdowns in the entire NFL. And when you look at him compared to other tight ends, four top five finishes in receiving yards. He led the league twice and he's finished as a runner up twice. Also could add to this this season as he leads in tight ends and receiving yards and touchdowns through 2020 so far. Um, in the red zone, obviously not as so much of a dynamic threat. He's finished twice as a runner up in receiving touchdowns, but that's because you know, Gronk and Kittle have been balling for a little bit here. Um, playoff numbers aren't crazy, but they're pretty good. If you double him, he's played nine games, 52 catches, 632 yards, six touchdowns. As you mentioned earlier, Carson, double those. That's 1,200 yards and 12 TDs, maybe knock off a little bit because it's 18 games instead of 16. Regardless, Travis Kelsey has been a contributor ever since he stepped onto the field. Now that he's got a Super Bowl ring under his belt, granted, he's plays in a great Chiefs offense and team. He's got that. Um, I think already with where he is among other tight ends, 11th in receiving yards and 15th in touchdowns, um, I don't think I'm crazy for having Kelsey at five. I think that Kelsey could end up, if he, no injuries, he could be the greatest tight end ever. It is certainly possible. I think that he is the kind of dynamic weapon at the position that outside of Gronk and maybe Callan Winslow, we have never seen as a peak force. The thing for me is, when he's 11th in yards and 15th in touchdowns at the position right now, and that is far and away his greatest asset, I don't know if I could have him in my top five. I think he is destined to end up there. Destined. And probably higher than that. My thing is just, when I evaluate these positions, I don't necessarily evaluate talent. I evaluate resume. And I don't know if his resume is quite there yet, but... He's certainly a top five talent we've ever seen at the position. And I'm not going to say that you're crazy for putting him there because oftentimes I have some bias where if a, if a guy who played in the past had a relatively brief, brief prime, maybe he only played eight good years of football, I will favor that over a guy who right now is in his eighth good year of football. And I need to sort of rewire that in my brain. And Kelsey is getting close to that point. If he finishes this season, that's seven great years of football that he already has under his belt, which is more than some of the guys who I have above him can say. So I don't think you're crazy. And I think that maybe you're a little early to the party, but he's going to be there. I don't think that that's deniable. And in a couple seasons with more production at this level, he will be there. And there's really nothing to me indicating that he won't go even further beyond that. Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven, but eight more peak years of Travis Kelsey. What's actually funny to me about him is that he's only five months younger than Gronk. Did you know that? Five months younger than Gronk because he basically started his NFL career at 24. So he's already 30 now, which I'm interested in seeing how long he lasted his peak. But right now the dude is, you have to double him and he's still going to produce. And yeah, he has the advantage of having weapons around him, but I don't know if you could say Tyree Kill is the most important weapon in that offense. I think it's Travis Kelsey, and he's certainly the more reliable guy down to down. So my number five 
is a guy who you left off entirely, and that is John Mackey, whose resume is pretty incredible. Five-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team All-Pro, one-time Super Bowl champ, 5,236 career yards, 38 touchdowns. What's so hard about this is you have to evaluate how different the position was then from what it is now. When you look at his ability as a receiver, he looks like a guy who's playing about 20 years early because he ran over dudes. He was so powerful, had legitimate breakaway speed, and was also a great blocker, was a safety valve for Johnny Unitas where he could work the underneath stuff and he would turn it into something big. Also, career average of 15.8 yards per reception, which to me is telling that this guy is a real weapon. And the eye test, when I compare him to Ditka, Ditka, I think we remember as this sort of stout, mean, angry old guy because he was so prominent as a coach. But young Ditka was a mobile, relatively lean athlete, and that's why he was so great as a receiver. But Mackey, to me, just blends that strength and athleticism and speed and takes it to a different level than what Ditka did. And you're right, you mentioned this earlier. What's really interesting is I don't want to give him a complete pass on the receiving numbers because we talk about the era differences, but he never led tight ends in receiving yards, which matters to me because when there are other guys who are floating in, and if it's Jackie Smith, if it's whatever other contemporary and is outproducing you, that does matter. At the same time, I think his consistency is on a different level from those guys. He led the Colts in receiving twice, and that to me is the biggest difference between him and Ditka is the consistency and the longevity. Ditka played 12 seasons, was over 400 yards just five times. Mackey played 10 seasons, was over 400 yards eight times. So it's an 80% conversion rate at being what I would say is a pretty fair benchmark of a good tight end in that era, 400 yards. Seems fair enough to me. It is a bit arbitrary, but I'm just doing my best out here, sir. And Ditka is below 50% in that respect. So I just think if you watch the eye test, he was a little bit more impressive as a dynamic athlete. I think he was responsible for some bigger moments. He was pivotal to some better teams historically. And I don't want to get into the team success bias because I think that's probably part of the reason why some people look at John Mackey and say maybe he's the best tight end of all time if you're an older gentleman because you associate him with these great football teams but is he the reason the Colts are going 13 and 1 and 12 and 2 he's not the reason but he was the most reliable offensive force of that unit outside of Johnny Unitas and when Earl Morrall took over for that season he was still producing at that level which I think tells you how important he was to that team's success so I have him there. Let's keep going. Who do you have at number four? I've got Shannon Sharp. And uh, yeah, Carson, he is the reason the Ravens had the number one defense. He was out there making tackles, <laughs> you know, forcing fumbles. Uh, that's a foolish take by Shannon. I can't believe he said that. Although I will give him his credit. He had Trent Dilfer and Tony Banks throwing him the football with those Ravens teams. So credit where credit is due for putting up the numbers that he did. Um, Shannon, to me, just you could definitively say was the best tight end in football for four to five years, which is, for me, all my top five guys, maybe not Kelsey, because I'd say he's been a little overshadowed by Kittle and Gronk in individual seasons. All of these guys were the best tight ends in football for an extended period of time, and is why they are all up here. Sharp, four-time All-Pro, a three-time Super Bowl champ, which does matter um, significantly. He's the only tight end up here other than Gronk that has that many. Um Five times he finished in top five in receiving touchdowns, but that wasn't really his forte. I want to, the stat that blew me away with Shannon. Now, while I, I won't give as much credit to Witten for his receiving yard totals, Sharp, four-time league leader in receiving yards at the tight end position, and a five-time runner-up in 14 seasons. 
every year he is consistently up there as one of the best tight ends in football. And then the touchdown numbers aren't as astounding, a five-time top five finisher in receiving touchdowns, but he led the league three times in tight end receiving touchdowns. And, uh, you know, we mentioned some of the playoff stats, 62 catches, 814 and four, not, not going to blow you away, but like I said, the, the case for, the case for Sharp is he was the best tight end in football for four to five years. And guys like Kelsey can't say that. I don't think that Ditka can say that I just because of how short he was. I think you've got to have Sharp up here along with the Super Bowl rings, with the peak. He's one of the GOATs. I like that argument. And it was the decision, part of the decision maker for me between him and a guy like Witten. What I will say is for my number four, Antonio Gates, I don't know if you can hold against him that he wasn't the best tight end in football because he was playing in the same era as the best tight end of all time in Tony Gonzalez. And I think his resume in totality with 955 catches, 11,841 yards, 116 touchdowns, which as you mentioned is seventh all time, far and away the leader among tight ends. The dude was a touchdown machine. And at 6'4", 255 with obviously some serious vertical ability and that kind of fluidity that you have to have as a basketball player. He's not like Tony Gonzalez, where he was a rotation piece, and you could see, you watch Tony Gonzalez play, and you're like, that dude doesn't really look at home on a basketball court. You can watch Jimmy Graham play, and you think, man, that guy's a heck of a shot blocker. He's a heck of an athlete. He's not really a basketball player. Antonio Gates, maybe not the prettiest jump shot. Maybe it's a bit strange to be a power forward at 6'4", but he kind of moved like a basketball player, which I think is a good indication of who's that fluid, dynamic athlete at the tight end position. And for him to be capable of that at 6'4", 255, at his athletic peak, reportedly ran a 4'5", 40 with a 40-inch vertical. He was still so productive when he lost that insane athleticism is part of what's so incredible to me, though. Because there's a guy who had 13 touchdowns at 24 years old and 12 touchdowns at 34 years old. So it's a decade apart. He's still that kind of machine and... Yeah, maybe he doesn't have the raw number of 1,000-yard seasons. What I think we need to remember, though, is he was great in the receiving game, and he was going to rack up his yards. He was going to be 700, 800-plus every year, but where he was most incredible was as that jump ball end zone threat where he was just inevitable. Much like Thanos, he was inevitable. And I think that he has to be here for me because the receiving production on totality, he's almost doubling sharp in touchdowns. He's got him by over a thousand receiving yards and part of that is longevity but I think when you factor that in and also consider that he was a much better blocker than a guy like Shannon Sharp I think that matters Sharp is so interesting because he's almost a forefather to the modern kind of tight end that we're seeing like I think of a guy like Darren Waller who is basically a receiver playing tight end the difference is Darren Waller is 6'6 so he looks more like a traditional tight end Shannon Sharp easily could have just been a receiver he was 6'2 yeah he was a little bit thicker than most of them but he could have just been a receiver so that's where I come down on it I think that Gates is the better blocker than a guy like Sharp and has so much more longevity and has more value as that red zone threat that I had to have him here well and uh, you mentioned some of you know Gates playing basketball he really made it popular and cool for basketball players to make that jump. Uh, Julius Peppers made the jump. Uh, obviously, I think he was going to go to the league regardless. Uh, he played the end. And then, you know, modern era, you get guys like Jimmy Graham who come out and play basketball and just feast. He made it popular to do so. Also impressive for Gates. He was undrafted because he didn't. Uh, I think I think how the story goes is uh, Nick Saban 
didn't want him to play football or only wanted him to play football at Michigan State, so he ended up leaving and going to play basketball and football at Kent State. Uh, I'm glad that worked out for Gates. Uh, Foolish maneuver by Nick Saban. Uh, I'm going to get into my top three, Carson. And First of all, let me say, huge snub of Mo Alley-Cox when you talk about basketball players who also are playing football. (sighs) Really disrespectful. And actually, we're going to cut this podcast short because I'm not going to tolerate that. No, you're exactly right. I completely forgot about Mo Ali Cox. He's balling this season. Uh, shout out VCU. I'm, I I did not see that whatsoever because Mo Ali Cox was not the most limber athletic big man at VCU. I'm glad the transition has worked and he has also bailed out in common with Antonio Gates. He's bailed out Phillip Rivers a few times. Nice. Just have to get the shot in there. Okay, let's get into your top three now. We're going to stick with uh, Chargers. I've got Kellen Winslow at three. Uh, yesterday, I was casually disrespecting Kellen Winslow in my in my kitchen with uh, with my dad in there. He did not tolerate it. Uh, he immediately told me that Kellen Winslow is the greatest tight end he's ever seen with his own eyes over the Tony Gonzalez, over Rob Gronkowski. And I was skeptical because his career ranks don't blow you away. 12th in tight end receiving yards, 18th in tight end receiving touchdowns. Uh, and I looked at nine career seasons. That doesn't make sense. But... Really, Winslow only played five real full seasons, four 16-game, and then 1982, obviously, the night, uh, the nine-game shortened season. In those five seasons, a five-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team All-Pro, five-time top-five finishes in receiving yards, and five top-five finishes in touchdowns. He led the league in both of those categories three times. He was a runner-up once in both categories. And if those numbers don't blow you away... Even in the playoffs, six games, 28 catches, 380 yards, and four touchdowns. And the yards per game is what blew me away because they're comparable to a guy like Travis Kelsey. 61.8 in the regular season, 63.3 in the playoffs. If you want Kelsey's marks, um, let's see here, 68 in the regular season, 70.2 in the playoffs, just far off. And this is a guy who played in a drastically different era. Granted, Dan Fouts and the Chargers were throwing the ball more than anybody else. Um, And on top of that, three 1,000-yard seasons. Like I said, five full seasons, three top 10 finishes in receiving yards, four top 10 finishes in receiving touchdowns overall. He was just, he was the first modern great receiving tight end. It's a shame that uh, we lost Kellen so short due to injury and he was not able to fulfill potentially what could have been, in my opinion, I think a Tony Gonzalez type career if he had. I have Winslow at three as well. And this dude was just special, man. 6'5", 250, and mobile, and nimble, and kind of looked like a receiver out there, but was so big and so strong. You talk about his production, over those five years, what I did was I took his peak 64 games, because it works nicely. He has three full seasons. He has the 82 season, which was a nine-game year because of the lockout, and then he has 84 when he only played seven games, and then unfortunately suffered a serious knee injury. So if we just combine 82 and 84, call those one full season, His peak four seasons then, his average per year, 1,230 yards, 8.8 touchdowns. Show me another receiver in football history at the tight end position who has done that. He led the league in receptions in back-to-back years regardless of position. And you talk about his production in the playoffs, only got to play in six career playoff games. In one of them, an incredible game against the Dolphins, had 13 catches for 166 yards, a touchdown in a game-winning field goal block while he was dehydrated, severely cramping, with a pinched nerve and a gash in his lip. And moments do not make careers, but that to me speaks to the value of peak Kellen Winslow. When he injured his knee in 1984, 
which unfortunately changed the course of the rest of his career, he had 663 yards over seven games. He's on track for a 1,400-plus yard season. And what's so crazy to me is he was the NFL's leading receiver by both catches and yards since he entered the league five and a half years prior. He didn't basically play his rookie year. And he was still the leader among everyone from when he had entered the league. So that to me is the level of peak production. When I talk about how a guy like Ditka didn't do it for long enough, if you are a better receiver in football than anyone at the wideout position, and the reason your peak falls off is because of injury, which is out of your control, because I read an article from the time where there was concern that his career was just over when he suffered that knee injury. And he wasn't the same after it, but he was still a quality player, had a 728-yard and five-touchdown season in his second-to-last year, then was a pro bowler in his last year. And we can give credit to guys before him who helped weaponize the tight end, Mackey and Ditka being the first ones. But if you talk about a guy you could implant to this era right now and would be that kind of force, it is Kellen Winslow. He made the tight end a weapon, and it's interesting— I watched another video from NFL Films where they talked about how they realized that because linebackers were playing with such brute physicality, these guys just couldn't get off the line of scrimmage. So what they had to do was move Winslow out wide and play him at different positions, essentially, to where he's not just the tight end who's lining up immediately alongside the offensive line. And obviously now, that's what everyone does. Your tight end is another receiver out there on so many plays, like a guy like Kelsey. And I think that you saw that Winslow was the kind of guy who forced that innovation in the game because he was so good and so talented that he just made it to where that was essential to maximize his ability. So I thought he was clearly in the top three. Even though his career isn't as long, you could not convince me that someone else is better because of his overwhelming value as a physical force and as a peak talent. So I think we're going to line up with the next two. Who do you have in the runner-up spot? I wonder if we are. Uh, You mentioned you had Tony Gonzalez as your greatest of all time. I've got Gonzalez here too. Mm. Um, and it was hard. It was really tough choosing between the two. I've been a Tony Gonzalez lifer. I, it, it broke my heart putting a Patriot at the number one spot, but to me, the deciding factor and granted, I will give Gonzalez a lot of credit. He had Trent green, Damon Heward and Brody Croyle tossing him the football for a lot of those years where Gronk had Brady the entire time to me, the drop off in playoff, uh, stats really, 56 career regular season yards per game drop off to 40.9 in the playoffs. Gonzalez's career playoff starts seven games, 30 catches, 286 yards, and four touchdowns. Can't compare to Gronk's production in the playoffs with the Patriots. Granted, it's been a lot more games because of the team's overall success. And that's where it lies to me is because of Gronk's dominance in the playoffs and dominance at the peak. I think Gronk is a better peak tight end than Tony Gonzalez, and he produced more in the playoffs. If you want to look at regular season numbers, Tony G's got them all. Led the league in tight end receiving yards six times. He was a runner-up twice. He led the league in receiving touchdowns at the tight end position five times and was a runner-up twice. 11-time top five finishes in tight end receiving touchdowns. 13 top five finishes in tight end receiving yards. The list goes on. 4,000-yard seasons. He's the number one receiving tight end by yardage of all time and the number two tight end by receiving touchdowns of all time. And even on the career, sixth in career receiving yards, eighth in career receiving touchdowns, it was hard. Tony Gonzalez was, when I was a kid, he was the guy. But Rob Gronkowski is the greatest tight end I've ever seen with my own two eyes. No one has been more dominant than Rob Gronkowski in the red zone. No one has been more dominant in open field when you just need a stiff arm to beat one safety. It 
It was tough, but I gave the edge to Gronk. It's interesting. And I can't say I hate it because nobody's peak ever touches his. That 2011 season, 1,327 yards and 17 touchdowns. Outside of peak Calvin Johnson, he was indisputably the best receiving weapon in football. No other tight end in history can say that, in my opinion. Maybe you can throw Kellen Winslow in there as a top two threat at the position, but you literally just threw the ball high and he caught it. And he became the Patriots' Randy Moss when Randy Moss couldn't take that role any longer. Besides his rookie year, he played 14 or more games four times to date. In those four seasons, when he's basically played a full year, 1,178 yards in 12 touchdowns is his average first-team All-Pro each time. So that's why I can't really criticize the decision. The only difference between him and Gonzalez in favor of Tony is longevity and health. But when you talk about a guy who's 6'6", 265, mobile, probably the best blocking tight end ever in his playoff career with a clean 16 game sample 1163 yards and 12 touchdowns in the Super Bowls that he's played in two of two of them both of which they've won he had 68 yards and a touchdown in 2014 87 yards in 2018 I can't deny you valuing that more than anything else when you compare his yards per game to a guy like Antonio Gates got him by 16.6 the thing to me that is just insane is Gronk's a five-time Pro Bowler, and obviously Pro Bowl is a fan-selected award. It's not the best metric of someone's value, but Tony Gonzalez has 14 Pro Bowls and six first-team All-Pro selections, 13 years apart, and I'm going to get into him as my GOAT right now, if you don't mind. He is third all-time in catches, disregarding positions, sixth all-time in yards, eighth all-time in touchdowns, played for 17 years. And only went below 849 yards four times. Only went below 620 yards one time as a rookie in his last season at 65 years old. Had 858 yards and eight touchdowns. And what's crazy to me is his quarterbacks in his top four seasons by receiving yards were Elvis Gerback, Trent Green, Damon Heward slash Brody Croyle splitting duties, and Tyler Thigpen. And so because of that, He only played in the seven career playoff games. I just don't think you can hold that against him at tight end. He wasn't a blocker like Gronk, but he did improve. In his last couple years, he was still pretty athletic. He, I believe, ran a sub 4-5-40 at the combine, which is pretty insane for the position. And the dude was just always open. So, peak value, Gronk takes the cake. But for me, Gonzalez is not like Witten, where he hung around and was decent for a really long time. He was elite elite for around 15 years give or take a couple maybe you think it's 13 the point is he was that kind of dynamic weapon for that long whether it was in Kansas City whether it was when he finally got a good quarterback in Atlanta and I do want to point out that raw receiving totals doesn't necessarily correlate to having great quarterbacks because you can have a quarterback who isn't great but still puts up his numbers and if you are far and away the best target on the team then you're going to get those touches so I don't think it's like Brady versus Brody Croyle is the difference maker in the decision but I will say when it comes to playoff success Gronk is going to have the memory of him as that Super Bowl champ I will also point out they won a Super Bowl when he was on the roster when he didn't play tight ends just don't drive success like that so I don't really think that that's fair to be a argument against Tony now Playoff production, individually, I do think matters. And I think you make a fair point there that Tony did not play his best football in the playoffs, and Gronk did play pretty well. 
pretty damn well. But to me, the Raw rings, which some people might throw into that conversation, isn't really fair. Was Gronk the best weapon that Brady's ever had besides Randy Moss? Absolutely. Was he the best blocking tight end in football for basically his entire career? Absolutely. But the rings aren't as much of a factor in my eyes. And you mentioned the four almost full seasons for Gronk, and in those four years, he was first-team All-Pro every season, 4,000-yard seasons. He led the league in tight end receiving yards every year. And then what I think gets even more interesting, he had six top five finishes in touchdowns for tight ends. He led the league four times in those four healthy years. He was twice the runner-up as well. Oh, no, I'm getting that wrong. One of the healthy, healthy seasons, he was a runner-up. Get this. In 2012, when he only played 11 games, he scored 11 touchdowns and still led tight ends in receiving touchdowns that year, missing five football games. And I don't want I don't want to like blow this out of proportion. It's it's right here. It is so close between Gronk and Gonzalez to having them neck and neck. But when you look at what Gronk can do also this season, he still has more time to write on his career football resume. I think he gets more touches this season with Brown, Goblin, and Evans getting him open. And he could be the first ever tight end with four Super Bowl rings if the Buccaneers get the job done this year. But I think that Rob Gronkowski, when healthy, is the greatest tight end to ever exist. And that was the determining factor. Yes, Gonzalez has got longevity, and he was the best tight end in football for probably 10 to 12 years. But Gronk's four-year well, not even a four-year stretch because they were spread out through his career. The four years where Gronk was healthy, I've never seen a better tight end. I'm trying to think of a fair comparison to make within football or to another sport where you have that guy who is the unparalleled best at their position and is basically healthy for four years. I don't even think maybe a guy like Bill Walton in basketball, but it's still not quite the same. I tried to think maybe compare Terrell Davis to another great running back, but it's not really an easy thing to do, especially when the competition is the guy who is the leading receiver all time in basically every tight end category and was the best at the position for a decade plus. I tried to do a Terrell Davis versus Emmett Smith thing in my head because I don't think that it's that far off. Emmett Smith is the leader in basically every significant rushing category, but probably talent-wise isn't the number one best of all time. Terrell Davis's peak few years might be better, but it's not an apples-to-apples -apples comparison because Gronk's career has been longer than Davis. He's more talented than Davis, respectively, within the position because it's not like we've never seen anyone like Terrell Davis. We've never seen anyone like Rob Gronkowski. And there's never, to me, been another situation. I'm combing through my mind. I cannot think of someone who should have been the best of all time far and away, and the thing holding them back from that is health and their ability to be on the field. The only apples-to-apples -apples comparison I can make in my head is probably Gail Sayers versus maybe Walter Payton, just because Sayers had such dominance in that age and, you know, a knee injury in those days was basically the end of your career. He's the only one that I can really make a case that is similar to the Gronk-Gonzalez comparison is Sayers to an all-time running back. And my thing there is, would we say that Gail Sayers is the best talent we've ever seen at the position? I don't think so. That is what Rob Gronkowski is. He's the best talent we've ever seen at the position. And then the question becomes, do you value a guy more who was probably the best at the position for over a decade and was really good for 17 years 
versus a guy who basically has had four really healthy seasons and a few more where he's still been significant even if he's only out there for eight to ten games, but it's obviously not the same. I think it's a fascinating debate, and I hope that Gronk continues to produce like he has these past couple weeks in Tampa Bay because I love watching that guy play football. He's from Buffalo, so shout out him in that respect, and he's just a joy to watch, and I want to see him continue to thrive with Brady by his side. little rhyming there for you. So I think that we've sort of ran down that debate. Let's shout out some honorable mentions on this list, some guys who were close cuts. We both mentioned there were a couple tough ones. Who are your honorable mentions? I actually, I think I could do a damn near comprehensive top 10 after the top 10. Uh, Mackie, Witten, and Newsom were the first three guys off of my list. You mentioned Ozzy a little earlier. For me, Ozzy just never had the peak of some of the other guys off this uh, on this list. After Newsom, the one guy I really wanted to put on the list was Dallas Clark. 11 career seasons. He was only a one-time Pro Bowler in one-time All-Pro selection. But uh, the number that blew me away... 39.6 career regular season yards per game, 70.6 career playoff yards per game. How many career playoff games did he play? 12 games, 64 catches, 847 yards, and four touchdowns. Whoa! Dude, that is insane. I mean, I don't think that he's deserving of a selection, but that's pretty incredible. For a guy that got one All-Pro selection, it is, it's, it doesn't make any sense conventionally. And he finished, he was always a good red zone target for Peyton, uh, two top five finishes in tight end receiving touchdowns, but just Clark just didn't have the same peak, but that playoff success blew me away. Um, after Clark, I'd say a guy like Ben Coates, Kittle, Vernon Davis, Heath Miller, Greg Olson, Zach Ertz, guys like that. Yeah, there's a lot of good selections and a few guys who you just mentioned who are playing right now. I will throw a couple other names into the ring. Jimmy Graham was someone who I considered just because I remember watching peak Jimmy Graham and it's not like the gap between him and Gronk was that big. I can say that with a serious look on my face. Jimmy Graham was that dominant at the position. He was a jump ball machine like there's probably never been. I also would shout out Jackie Smith who had some really impressive receiving numbers and a handful of Pro Bowls over his career. But really the toughest one for me to leave off was Ozzie Newsome because so ahead of his time, so great as a receiver. But I think Kelsey has already surpassed him as a receiver. He's already surpassed him accolades-wise. He's on the verge of surpassing him as far as both yards and touchdowns in less time, and so that's where I had to go with him there. And I already laid out the Casper versus Newsom debate. Any final thoughts as we come off of our celebration of National Tight End Day, wrapping up this top 10? Yeah, last thing I just want to say is you make a good point with the Graham case. When Graham and Gronk were going head-to-head, I thought Jimmy Graham in the moment was a better tight end. Wow. And maybe that was maybe that was my preference to Drew Brees as a quarterback, but it was close. I mean, those years were just so much fun to watch the race between two guys who were clear head and shoulders above everybody else at the position. And I do want to add that I've always remembered Graham's career as being sort of disappointing because it felt like he fell off of a bit of a cliff, but if you look at his productions in the season since he left New Orleans even, 923 yards and 6 touchdowns in Seattle, then 520 and 10 touchdowns the year after that, he's still been a productive tight end for the most part. He just hasn't been that kind of peak Jimmy Graham that we came to know and love in the early 2010s, and he could have been the guy who separated himself as maybe the most consistently productive and that kind of insane talent tight end ever because 
he doesn't really have the injuries to point to like Gronk does. He just stopped being as good when he was still pretty early in his career. So this was a fun one. I'm glad that we got to do it. We are going to continue our NBA offseason preview this Wednesday doing the Southwest and Southeast divisions. We are going to do some NFL talk later this week again. And make sure that you go follow us on social media at nerd underscore sesh on Twitter, at nerd sesh on Instagram. I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home, too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love, online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details.